Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you saw some mention, some word of plans by the United States of America, that is, by the Trump administration, to test an ICBM intercept, an intercontinental ballistic missile intercept system with the specific target being none other than that superpower, North Korea. Breathtaking, just breathtaking. Uh, We are on such a merry-go-round here with the Trump administration's evolving understanding of international (laughs) circumstances. So not that long ago, we were hearing tell that we were through with the Liza's fair policy towards North Korea. That North Korea was just continuing in its build-up, its ramping up for threatening the United States of America, not only militarily, but with nuclear weapons. And then after a brief period of greater reflection, one imagines, then Defense Secretary Mattis announces that a military solution, he didn't specify what kind of military solution, whether conventional or nuclear or what have you, But he said a military solution, meaning any military solution to stop the North Korean communist regime of Kim Jong-un, as I refer to him, the third generation of the Kim dynasty in North Korea, that it would be tragic on an unimaginable scale. So, even though we were done with any attempts at diplomacy, we were through with any continuation of embargoes and what have you, any economic sanctions, anything else, which clearly didn't work, hadn't worked, wouldn't work, And now, in such a brief time, after statements being made by multiple members of the administration to that effect, now we have segued over to a military solution is essentially off the table. (laughs) Whereas they were pointing squarely at a military solution, now, bare weeks later, a military solution is unthinkable because it would be tragic on an unimaginable scale. And so, the United States now is going to try to resort to the latest version of the Star Wars program that was initiated by President Ronald Reagan and which he took an incredible beating for from our esteemed media elites and from the esteemed loyal opposition, as in exceedingly disloyal, treasonous, treacherous, monstrous, leftist opposition, but who ruled the roost at that time. They had control of the U.S. Senate. They had control of the House of Representatives. But, and of course, 
<laughs> they had a stranglehold on the media. And Reagan, President Reagan, took an unbelievable battering on everything that he was attempting to do. And his reasoning, his focus with regard to what came to be referred to as Star Wars was that the United States of America was locked in a so-called Cold War with the exceedingly powerful, dangerous, aggressive Soviet Union. Yes, the communist regime in bloody red China was in existence, but it was not a nuclear superpower. The United States of America, since the days of Richard Milhouse Nixon, chose to give most favored nation VIP status to Mao's monstrous, bloody communist regime in mainland China, which had murderously warred against the United States of America throughout the Vietnam War and prior to that throughout the Korean War. But they became most favored nation VIPs while we shut out free China, Taiwan. And every administration since then has done the same. It is beyond outrageous and disgraceful of the United States of America to have done that, to have favored most greatly this evil regime that was an evil regime and a mortal enemy of the United States of America way back then, in the 60s and 70s, and still is to this day. Are there good and godly people in bloody red China? Yes, and they are oppressed and persecuted hellishly by the communist regime of dear Xi Jinping, and so on and so forth. But I digress. Back to why there was Star Wars. It was because of the protracted, seemingly insoluble Cold War between this aggressive, malevolent Soviet Union communist regime and the United States of America, which it was bent on destroying. And so Ronald Reagan engaged in a number of tactics, not detente from dear old Henry Kissinger, Dr. Strangelove, not from Jimmy Carter, not from Gerald Rudolph King Ford, but Ronald Reagan engaged in a number of tactics end this gridlock, stalemate, protracted war footing that could at any time have ended in mutual assured destruction. And the fiction of disarmament, nuclear disarmament, arms control talks, and so on and so forth, offered no realistic solution other than just unilateral disarmament by the United States of America, which Richard Milhouse Nixon had begun and Jimmy Carter had continued. But, again, the whole reason, notion, concept of the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Intercept Program was one of the major programs used, employed by 
President Ronald Reagan brilliantly to change the dynamics of this heretofore unsolvable, insoluble problem of this little issue that we had with the Soviet Union, which was that they had a veritable nuclear gun to the head of the United States of America. Yes, the United States of America could strike first preemptively, but it would not be enough to knock out the Soviet Union, so on and so forth. There would be mutually assured destruction or mad. What is madder yet, though, is that now that the Trump administration with Defense Secretary Mad Dog Mattis, James Mattis, that they imagine that the United States of America should fall back, fall back into this defensive position with reference to North Korea, permitting North Korea's communist regime under Kim Jong-un to aggressively threaten the United States of America ever increasingly to continue to proceed with their nuclear arms race and their intercontinental ballistic missiles unhindered, unfettered, just permit them to go full ahead with the wink-wink, nod-nod cooperation and encouragement of communist Red China and the Russian Federation, their godparents, as it were. And then for us to await the fateful day and we will try to stop their... ICBMs, their nuclear-armed ICBMs, with an ICBM intercept system, which has been woefully ineffective to this time. Brilliant. I mean, it's just absolutely brilliant strategy. This is the same strategy. Take out the ICBM intercept, pardon me, Take that out. Take that off the table. And it's the same policy that has been pursued for the past eight years for the presidency of the previous occupant of the White House, Barack Hussein Obama. Outstanding. Yeah, just, you know, encourage North Korea's regime to make all of the progress it can possibly make. Barack Hussein Obama, of course, did the same thing with the Iranian Islamist regime. Do everything possible to encourage them, to enable them, to reward them for pursuing nuclear weapons with which to attack Israel and other American allies, and so forth, and American forces in the Middle East. <laughs> Outstanding. Instead of nipping it in the bud, well, it's a little bit late to nip anything pertaining to these regimes in the bud. They've been permitted to pursue these things for ages and ages. But now for the United States of America to relinquish military options, say that's unthinkable, that would be tragic on an unimaginable scale. So instead, it's much better, much better to choose an option which will permit North Korea to inflict tragedy on an unimaginable scale on the United States of America and on South Korea and on Japan and on Guam and Okinawa and Taiwan. Much better. That, that is such 
a superior option right there. Outstanding work by James Mad Dog Mattis as he serves our commander-in-chief. Mike Pence, wherever you are, you need to stand up and be counted, okay? You need to show yourself to be of some worth, okay? Not just a ribbon cutter, okay? You're not just a member of the royal family over in England or in Monaco. You're the vice president. Okay, when we have the evil ones in power, the Veeps manage to exercise considerable power. They don't wait around until they might have their chance at being president. Of course, when the evil ones are in power, the co-presidents wield tremendous power. And then when their hubbies are out of office... Then they seek the presidency. Perhaps you saw this latest thing after Hillary formed her new power political group, the latest incarnation of it. Now here in the last day, she is out there stumping. She's opining about need for impeachment of the current president who has been in office, what, three and a half months. (laughs) Outstanding. But, of course, it was a vast, vast right-wing conspiracy against her dearly beloved husband, Bill, as far as seeking his impeachment for myriad reasons. So anyway, the United States of America here is going to sit back And wait for the worst, wait for the fateful day, and try to play defense. Outstanding. But then again, you know, we have this buffer, the Pacific Ocean, which South Korea and Japan and Taiwan and Guam and Okinawa and so on and so forth and the Philippines, they don't have. They don't have that luxury. As I referred to before Donald Trump took office and after he took office, this situation with regard to North Korea is an extremely difficult one. Absolutely it is. Why is it so difficult? Well, because not everybody in North Korea is our enemy. There are the Christians that are enslaved in concentration camps, being starved to death, being worked to death, and being housed in (laughs) facilities that offer them no protection from the elements. And they all die fairly quickly, amazingly enough. It's like the Christians that were sent to the Siberian concentration camps by not just Uncle Joe Stalin, but by all of his successors. Sent to the gulags where they were preyed upon by the worst criminals in the Soviet Union and where they were on starvation rations and where they were forced to endure unbelievable hardships And hard, hard, hard labor. And they suffered violence continually. Surprisingly enough, these Christians and Jews that were sent off there, they didn't have to be assassinated. They died off quickly enough. Many of them murdered by these vicious criminals and others died from these other causes. But North Korea has been intimately involved not only with the Soviet Union era, Russia, and its regime, which, of course, encompassed much more than Russia, but with modern-day Russia, and so too with communist China. It is a very difficult problem because South Korea 
and South Korea's capital are so close to the demilitarized zone, so-called, to that no-man's land, (laughs) across which there is the million-plus-man army, man-and-woman army of North Korea. And then their massive submarine force off the coasts and so on and so forth. It's extremely difficult situation. There is the extremely close proximity of communist red China to South Korea and Japan and Taiwan and Guam and Okinawa. And there is what amounts to essentially a token force of United States military personnel there, 28,500. Put that up against a million plus North Koreans and you get some idea of the difficulty of the situation. Do the South Koreans have a potent army, potent military? Yes, they do. But it is a very difficult situation. So if you go into it, you need to have your eyes open. You need to be aware of the various variables and moving parts there. You need to realize that you are not just facing North Korea, but that you have a very real likelihood of facing the foes that faced you in Vietnam and the North Korean military back in the good old days of the Korean War, in which the NATO forces, a.k.a. the United States military, defeated the North Korean communist forces, but then were still engaged with the communist Chinese military and Soviet unions. And Harry Truman stopped, prohibited, ordered Douglas MacArthur not to pursue the enemy. And therefore, we have the DMZ. And therefore, we have this protracted mess in Korea and all the terrible suffering that's been inflicted on good and godly people in North Korea ever since then, as well as what took place in Vietnam, which was a direct offshoot, a direct result of the Truman Doctrine in Korea. But you need to be aware that it is complicated and it is dangerous and it is difficult, which doesn't mean you then decide to punt or to quick kick and to sit back and to wait and to hope for the best. And oh well, if they do attack us in the future, which they will, when they are as strong as possible, then we will try to prevent those things from reaching us. It's it's brilliant stuff, uh, and you can't make it up. It is (laughs) what is currently going on. And it's what took place under Obama and Clinton and Rodham Clinton and so on and so forth with the one distinctive difference that here Team Trump is now wanting to try to use the ICBM intercept as a safety net. Lots of luck with that. But speaking of communist China, mainland China under this bloody, murderous communist regime, which, of course, we know it's not. Oh, no, no, no. It's capitalist and it's free and all these other crazy fictions. Well, 
Interestingly enough, that even in recent, recent, recent times, not just back in the 50s and 60s and up into the 70s, but in recent times, dear old communist China has been murdering United States intelligence assets inside of mainland China. Some of them Chinese nationals and others not, but of Chinese descent. And the way that China discovered who all these various CIA informants were is up for grabs. Was it the result of a mole in the CIA, which it certainly appears to have been, with a Chinese-American who is living abroad and doing just fine, thank you, but whom we brought back to the United States to question. We tricked him into coming back to the U.S. and questioned him and then released him. Or was it the result of extremely, extremely sloppy spycraft over in China, which it also appears to have been? But in any case, communist China, when it located these CIA informants and operatives, it wrung all the information it could out of them and then murdered them. And meanwhile, the United States of America, when it discovers spies who have actually enormously compromised the United States of America, have given massive amounts of information to former Soviet Union and its allies and Cuba, Cuba, and so forth, and have caused the deaths of a great many American assets, they call them. You know, it's always good to depersonalize these people. But going back to the good old days of the Bay of Pigs and on up to the present, whenever we have discovered these spies, (laughs) if they're from abroad, we put them in prison and then we deport them. If they're from the United States of America, we put them in prison for a while, then release them. But nothing too harsh, nothing... Uh, that would seem to be fit for these who have caused the deaths of multitudes of ours. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. In case you missed the initial introduction. Well, perhaps you've seen these extraordinary headlines concerning the current head of the Philippines. Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte, or something to that effect, he does make some rather uh, headline-grabbing kinds of statements, which, uh, of course, we in the West view as being draconian, to say the least. But you see, he has a rather difficult situation on his hands. It is in response to the circumstances on the ground in the Philippines that he is making the statements he's making, that he is taking the steps he's taking, he's engaging in the actions that he is. It's a very difficult situation in the Philippines. Now, Philippines is rife with violent crime, violent crime courtesy of massive drug trade. Massive, illicit drug trade, drug trafficking. Directly, directly connected to that and multitudes of drug addicts preying upon the citizenry, who who they themselves are citizens, preying upon citizens. And President Rodrigo, I will call him by his first name, since I think I have a better handle on it than I do on Duterte or whatever. I've never heard his name pronounced. But he views 
the predators as being of less value than those they prey upon. It's a shocking concept. I mean, this is something that we in the West, when I say we in the West, I mean in the United States of America, Canada, Mexico, Central America, South America, UK, United Kingdom, Ireland, all of Europe, anywhere in Europe, Scandinavia, down through to Israel, every place that embraces the crazy, insane notions that we in the West do. Yes, it's terrible to think that those that are doing evil to others, doing evil to the good, to the harmless, to the helpless, to the law-abiding, that those that are doing evil to them are of less value than those that they are preying upon. It's a terrible thing. Oh, my gosh, how terrible is that? It certainly is completely and utterly and totally rejected by the dear Pope, the head of the Roman Catholic institution. Ironically, because (laughs) Roman Catholicism is the dominant religion in the Philippines. But so Rodrigo, for all of his roughness and harshness, and you could say crudeness, whatever, he has a better grasp of reality than we in the West do. Well, he declared martial law. I'm not a fan of martial law, but he declared martial law through southernmost Philippines. Southernmost Philippines, Mindanao, so forth, are controlled by communists and Islamists to a shocking extent. And so he declared martial law to allow his army, his police, his forces to have a fighting chance to root out these evil ones that have been actively destroying southern Philippines and infiltrating into the rest of the Philippines. And these Islamists include ISIS. There's a group there, Abu Sayyaf, which is described as a militant group. Well, it's pledged allegiance to ISIS, to IS, to the Islamist State, Islamic State. And they are continuing just Right along, alongside the communists, a reign of terror in southern Philippines. Now, I know you have undoubtedly heard that Islam and communism do not go together any more than oil and water. They do not coexist. They are in stark opposition to one another, but they're not. If you look around the world, you will, and you you look in the the right spots, you will find cases, situations where Islam and communism go together. You find it in places like Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Central Asia. Chechnya, and so forth. But you find it in Africa, places like Sudan and Somalia and Ethiopia. Now, in some of these places, the communists are not currently in power, but were previously in power. In all of these places, Islamist power is to be seen, Islamist regimes. 
In some cases, it is a communist regime that is cooperative with Islamists. A communist regime cooperative with the Islamists. In others, they go hand in hand. In China, mainland China, it's a very strange situation because while the communist Chinese regime is at odds with the Islamists in mainland China, they are supportive of Islamists outside of China, such as in their satellite state, Pakistan, which America has fancifully imagined is an ally of the United States of America, but which is in fact a satellite of mainland China, as is North Korea. But back to the Philippines, in an offensive that President Duterte engaged in there during the state of emergency, a police chief was stopped by the Islamists and beheaded. And there was a statement made by President Rodrigo Duterte that surprised me. And he warned that he may expand the martial law to the rest of the nation, might expand it nationwide. But that was after the violence that's been taking place in the South, in Southern Philippines during this state of emergency. So I don't quite get that. I could understand it if there had been some strikes in Central Philippines and Northern Philippines and the capital of Philippines at the same time, in the same time frame. But it's instead, it's in response to the gravity of what's going on in the South. And I think, understandably, wisely, he fears that despite his best efforts to try to contain it and crush it and destroy it, that it is going to metastasize and spread throughout the Philippines, which is the whole purpose of this state of emergency martial law anyway, is again to stop it. And he's afraid that based on the early returns, you might say, like in an election, that it's looking like the program is not succeeding. So if need be, if he feels it is necessary, he will expand martial law, state of emergency to the whole of the Philippines. And that would be drastic indeed. But it's not as drastic, as bad as it would be, it's not as drastic as draconian as allowing the communists and the Islamists to rout the government forces and to take over the Philippines. That would be tragic on an unimaginable scale. Truly. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the world where the Islamists are busy, Hamas murdered three men in Gaza, men whom they claimed were responsible for killing one of their higher level leaders. And they streamed it on Facebook. You know, that great social media platform. Uh, Anyway, uh, it is true. Uh, They streamed it on Facebook, and Facebook uh, does such good work. Well, while Islam is on the march around the world, Christians are on the retreat, and I don't blame them one bit. Christians have been fleeing from the Middle East for a considerable time, but it was exacerbated greatly by the good works of President George W. Bush in Iraq, with not just the invasion of Iraq, but 
the overthrow of Saddam Hussein and his sadistic sons who were chips off the old block, but also the occupation of Iraq. And what ensued followed that as far as since the United States attacked and entered Iraq, there has been massive violence suffered by the Christians in Iraq. And everywhere that the United States of America and the Western nations have then later encouraged, permitted, allowed, and encouraged Islamists to take over, where they have terrorized, tortured, murdered Christians and Jews for being Christians and Jews. Places like Libya and Egypt and Syria and Iraq and what have you, and around Israel, in and around Israel. So Christians have been fleeing. Those who have survived have been fleeing this part of the world. And it is a major demographic shift so that then the Islamists have been only too happy to fill the void. (laughs) And it has just, again, exacerbated the circumstances in the Middle East. And as the Islamists push into Europe at the invitation of the European nations, it has the same effect. Now, these are nations which, in terms of Christianity, Christian church, have been cooler than lukewarm. They have been cool spiritually for a long time. But the situation is being made worse (laughs) spiritually throughout Europe, Scandinavia, UK by this extreme influx and intrusion by Islamists. You'd never know it from Andrea Merkel. You would never... Is it not Andrea? It's Alexandra something? Anyway, Miss Merkel. We will call her Ms. Merkel because her first name is, is eluding me. You would never know it from her. I do think it's Andrea, but you would never know it from her because she continues to welcome, continues to encourage Islamists to come into Germany, and she chides and chastises other European nations for not agreeing with her. And so much good has been happening as a result of those wonderful policies. Something to look forward to. Well, the United Kingdom, across the pond from us and across the channel from Brussels, Belgium, where the President of the United States of America addressed NATO leaders and the European Union leaders. In the United Kingdom, in Britain, Great Britain, where the monstrous Islamist terrorist attack at Manchester Arena took place, was committed. We have the royals. So what are royals? What is royalty? And is there such a thing as true royalty? Well, the royals are that uh, family over there in Great Britain and the families throughout Europe and Scandinavia and down through Monaco and 
elsewhere in the world, in Africa and Asia, who comprise these monarchies, even powerless monarchies. Everything from absolute monarchies with complete dictatorial power and control to the ceremonial monarchies or monarchs. Well, in the UK and Great Britain, we have the House of Windsor and we have Queen Elizabeth, who's 90 years young now, and her husband, dear Philip, who again is on record as stating that uh, when he dies, he would like to come back as a killer virus to eliminate billions of people, you know, to make the world safer. Make it safe from people. In case you think, well, he's just gone senile. No, 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 no. He's been a believer and proponent of this for many, many moons. Going way back to you know, the good old days of Jimmy Carter and so forth. And those of like thinking, like Ted Turner and all of that group, all of the world leaders, those in the Bilderbergs and all of these other great groups. But they are enemies of humanity. They are enemies of people. They are enemies of God and of Christ. And some of them are proudly atheist or agnostic or quietly Church of Satan, and others are Jews of one stripe or another, supposedly, and others are Christians of some stripe or another, or Roman Catholic or what have you. But they all serve the same anti-God, anti-Christ. Now, how many members of the royal family are in agreement with Philip? I don't know. But anyway, we can look forward here in the near future, possibly, to marriage of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle, the American actress who is described as being Jewish and of multi-ethnicity and has starred in Hallmark TV movies and is a star of the hit show Suits that is filmed in Canada. Their wedding is no doubt soon going to grace the covers of various magazines and newspapers and the Internet and what have you. It could certainly be upon us in the near, near future. Something to look forward to, something exciting, no doubt. Meanwhile, we will have a changing of the guard there in England sometime in the not-too-distant future, as Elizabeth again is 90. So, when there is a change... Of whom is the royal in charge? There will not be any substantive change until such time as the form of government in England, in Great Britain, changes. Because it is a ceremonial monarchy. And I would state that these royals, this royal family are are not my idea of true royalty. Okay. Um, I'll leave it at that. True royalty for me are people of nobility. And when I say nobility, I don't mean blue blood. I don't mean that they were born with the veritable silver spoon in the mouth. I mean they are people of outstanding character, honor, integrity. That's what I mean by nobility is nobleness of character. And as far as I know, there are virtually no 
members of the ro various royal families that meet that definition, at least not for me. Even going back to beautiful Princess Grace, Grace Kelly, Academy Award-winning actress, who then later married Prince Rainier, or Rainier, however they want to pronounce it. She wasn't, even though she was beautiful, even though she was appealing, even though she was stylish and outwardly classy, she couldn't hold a candle to my mother. And so for me, her marrying into a royal family did not make her true royalty or true nobility. And for me, Meghan Markle marrying into the family there won't make her that either. But I don't hold her commoner status against her. Nor the mother of Prince Harry and Prince William. I do not hold their commoner status against them. My mother is a commoner. Was a commoner. No. These titles, for all intents and purposes, are meaningless. Yes, they result in a wonderfully lavish life, a comfortable life, and all of these blessings, many of which many Hollywood stars and such also enjoy. And now, of course, so many sporting stars enjoy. But as far as there being some merit, that's another matter. Because monarchy and royalty is not merit-based. It's not a meritocracy. There is no divine right of kings or queens. I have nothing against, and this will sound terrible, I have nothing against a good and godly dictator. And I have nothing in favor of a wicked, vile, lewd, profane, perverse, unjust democracy. That being said, those good and godly dictators, they are, well, as rare as hen's teeth. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.